before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God already had determined a purpose for your life, a God-given purpose. God has a purpose to train you in what you're called to do, and I tell you, Karis Bible College is the place for that. Man, if you want a life change, come to Karis. Come on to Karis! The next two to three years could be the most powerful time of your life. If you sit under the Word for four hours a day, for five days a week, for two or three years, I guarantee you, you are going to have God speak to you and start revealing purpose to you. Every one of you are created for a purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. God was calling us here and we were like, we're coming. We're going to be obedient to God's call. For us, this was our place called there. The provision for the healing was in this place. And I know our provision for our ministry or what God wants us to do, our purpose is here too. And now here's Andrew. Welcome to our Tuesday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today I'm continuing to teach on prayer and talking specifically about New Testament prayer after Jesus has come and reconciled us to God versus the way prayer was done in the Old Testament. And I, this is a new wrinkle in most people's brains. Most people have never even thought, it has never crossed their mind that there is a different way to pray in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. Some people might say, well, in the New Testament, we, we pray in the name of Jesus, but they don't even know what that means. I've been sharing some things on prayer. I've got this book, this teaching entitled, A Better Way to Pray, and I have it in Spanish. I have a study guide. I have CDs, DVDs. I really encourage you to get these materials because I tell you, the things I'm saying here are radically different than the way most people approach, approach prayer. And this is one of the reasons that they aren't getting the right results. You know, when the Lord told us to use His name, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, He will give it unto you. Most people don't understand. That's more than just saying in the name of Jesus. It's more than just mouthing the words. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand what Jesus did? And the truth is most people don't because they will pray the exact same prayers that were prayed in the Old Covenant and they will pray the same prayers in the New Testament with just, you know, in the name of Jesus on the end. And in a sense, that's taking the name of Jesus in vain. When you're saying in the name of Jesus, you're saying because of what Jesus did, because He has paid for my sins, because He has reconciled me to God, because He has interceded and He has won your favor for me. Father, I believe now I receive these things because of what Jesus did. That's what you should be saying when you use in the name of Jesus. And yet I have had people come to me by the thousands who say something similar to, why hasn't God healed me? I fast, I pray, I pay my tithes, I go to church, I'm living a holy life, I'm doing everything I can. Why hasn't God healed me? There's some of you watching this program right now that that's exactly the attitude that you've been expressing towards God. I'm telling you, in statements like that, it says why God hadn't healed you. 
because you aren't pointing to what Jesus did for you. You're pointing to what you have been doing for Jesus. And you are expecting that because I do this and this and this, God is going to move in my life because of what I do. That is anti-Christ. That is taking the name of Jesus in vain. You aren't approaching God on the basis of what Jesus has done. You are approaching God on the basis of what you have done. And you're pleading with an angry God as if he was still angry. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus has reconciled God unto us. There isn't any anger in God towards you because he has been appeased through the sacrifice of Jesus. And for a New Testament Christian to pray the way Old Testament saints did is anti-Christ. Now, I'm not saying that you are anti-Christ. I'm not saying you are of the devil. I'm saying that mindset is against what Jesus has done. It voids what Jesus has done. And then for you to tack in the name of Jesus onto the end of your prayer is taking the name of Jesus in vain. You aren't using it the way that it's intended. You don't understand that there is a difference in the New Testament. Yesterday I used Exodus chapter 32 and showed you how Moses pled with God. God was so ticked off he was going to destroy the entire nation of Israel and start over with Moses and make a new nation. And Moses told God to repent and turn from his fierce wrath. And Exodus 32:14 says God repented. And, and see, people, I've, I've had them take that exact passage of Scripture and say, this is the way we need to intercede. Just as Moses did, we need to come boldly before God. We need to beg and plead with Him not to pour out His wrath, not to do these things. There's a number of things wrong with that. One of the things is that you think God is still angry. God has had His wrath satisfied through the Lord Jesus. All of God's wrath came upon Jesus. John chapter 12, verse 32. He drew all of God's wrath. You know, I may teach on that later in this week because it fits perfectly with what we're talking about right here. But all of God's wrath was poured upon Jesus and God is not angry with you. Now, I could stop and teach for a week or something explaining this, but let me just say that for the New Testament believer, those who've accepted the salvation that comes through Jesus, all of God's wrath has been satisfied. And according to the promise in Isaiah chapter 54, verses 9 and 10, God will never be angry with us. He will never be wroth. He will never be dissatisfied. He will never take His covenant of peace and mercy away from us ever. You are never going to experience God's wrath. But even for the non-believer... We live in a day where God's wrath has been satisfied through Jesus and God is extending mercy even towards the unbeliever. Now, if they continually reject this, there is coming a day when the wrath of God will come, but we aren't living in that day right now. So for the New Testament believer, you are absolutely free and clear of any wrath and punishment from God. For those who aren't believers, there is a grace and a mercy coming towards God that was not evident even in the Old Testament. And there will come a time where if they continue to reject Jesus, they will be punished for that rejection of Jesus. But it's not today. God is not pouring out His wrath even on the unbeliever. So in the New Testament, Jesus changed everything. God is no longer angry. And so for you to approach God as if He's this angry, mean, uh, 
wrathful God that was described in the Old Testament, like in Exodus chapter 32, and for you to approach Him that way and say, repent from your fierce wrath. Turn from your wrath. Repent of this evil that you thought to do. First of all, you don't even understand how God and His holiness and His justice has been satisfied through Jesus. And then for you to tell God to repent, what you are doing is taking the place of a mediator. You are trying to reconcile two parties that are opposed to each other. And I'm telling you, God's not opposed to us anymore. And you are taking the place of Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, There is only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Jesus ended all mediation, all intercession, all pleading with God for mercy that is described in the Old Testament. Jesus obtained for us what we couldn't do. What Moses did was effective at his time, but what Jesus did is a million times more effective. And for you to approach God as if Jesus hadn't atoned, as if he hasn't reconciled us unto God, and plead with God to repent the same way that Moses did, that is anti-Christ. It is against what Jesus has done. Here's another example that is often used, and that's Genesis chapter 18, where the Lord sent two angels down to Sodom to see if they were guilty of everything that had been reported to him. And if they were, he was going to bring destruction on the uh, area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Genesis chapter 18, in verse 23, it says, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Here is Abraham pleading with God and saying, God, you can't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What if there were only fifty righteous people there? Would you kill the righteous people along with the wicked? A righteous, a holy, just person wouldn't do that. God, surely you wouldn't do this. And in verse 26, it says, And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, O oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall be thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, O oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. In other words, he knew he was pushing the envelope here. He was getting the Lord down, and he, he knew that he might be going too far. So he said, This will be my last time. This is the last time I'm going to intercede and ask. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. You know, we don't know for sure, but the Lord came down from fifty to ten. I believe that if Abraham would have kept going and said, Would you destroy it if there's only one righteous person there? It's possible that the Lord might have pardoned all of Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of one righteous person. 
And in verse 33, it says, And the Lord went his way as soon as he had uh, left communing with Abram, and Abram returned unto his place. And then in Genesis chapter 19, you find that there wasn't even 10 righteous people. Over in Peter, it says that uh, Lot was a righteous man, a just man. And so there was one righteous person there, and God in His mercy and because of Abraham's intercession, He spared Lot's life and, and Lot's wife. He brought Lot's wife out, but she turned back and longed after the city, and she turned into a pillar of salt. And Lot's two daughters came out with him. So there was only three people saved of all of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that wasn't something that Abraham negotiated or interceded for. This was just the mercy of God that he delivered Lot and his two daughters out of Sodom. And so ultimately the entire area was destroyed with fire and brimstone. And I've often heard people uh, use this as a pattern and say this is the way that a New Testament intercessor needs to be interceding. We need to be praying for Americans saying, Oh God, you know, please spare America. Don't bring your judgment. Don't bring your wrath upon America. What about the righteous? And we intercede. And uh, we, we are hoping that there's enough good here that it will, you know, uh, put off the judgment of God from coming upon this nation. I'm telling you, if Abraham, under the old covenant, prior to what Jesus did, if he could intercede with God, and if he could bring God down to where he would not destroy this entire area because of just 10 righteous people, then I can guarantee you that Jesus' intercession was a million times more inter uh, effective than Abraham's intercession. And Jesus has brought it down that even though the United States is guilty of many of the same things that Sodom and Gomorrah was guilty of, I'm not saying it's because we aren't deserving of judgment, but I'm saying that because of Jesus' intercession, He has satisfied the wrath of God. If God could be turned from destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, if there were only 10 righteous because of Abraham, I believe that today America or whatever nation you are watching this program in, I believe that Jesus has interceded for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us, according to Hebrews chapter 7. And He has turned the wrath of God, and God is not going to destroy this nation or your nation or any nation because of their sin. Jesus has made a difference. I used to say things like, if God doesn't destroy America, if He doesn't judge America, He's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the logic behind that was that America is becoming as corrupt and as perverse as Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, the, the main sin, there was many sins, but the main sins of Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexuality. Matter of fact, homosexuality today is often referred to as sodomy. You know why that? Because that was, they came from Sodom and homosexuality is so associated with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that they call it sodomy today. And I mean, that was the main sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were blatant with it. They were open with it. America now is, is they aren't just 
tolerating homosexuality. I'm not against homosexuals. I've got people I know that have had problems with homosexuality, and I haven't treated a one of them badly. I don't do bad things to them. I don't ridicule them. I don't insult them. I don't do things to them. I treat them with respect and honor. I'm not against homosexuals, but I am against homosexuality because it is an abomination. It is a sin. It's wrong. And it's one thing to operate in grace and mercy towards homosexuals where you don't sit there and condemn them and just treat them as trash. But it is an entirely different thing to actually promote homosexuality. And the government and so much of our society today is actually promoting it. It's not a matter of just tolerating it and let people live the way that they choose to. You have to promote it. You have to uh, sanction their marriages. You have to sanction something that is ungodly. There is a push to try and make ministries like mine uh, hire homosexuals, and if I don't, then I'm a homophobe and stuff like that. And I tell you, that is absolutely wrong. I had somebody contact me recently and say, why would you criticize homosexuality? You don't criticize lawyers. And what they did, they went on to say lawyers lie and steal. They have a terrible reputation. Why don't you come out against that? And did you know what? I do criticize dishonesty. I do talk about things. But the difference, the reason I don't single out lawyers is because, for one thing, not all lawyers are dishonest and lie and cheat and steal. That is a gross, um, you know, I don't know, overstatement. It's a putting people in a box and stuff. Not all lawyers are like that. I know some lawyers that have great integrity and stuff. So I speak against uh, lack of integrity and lying and stealing and manipulation and control. I speak against those things. But the difference, the reason I don't come out against lawyers or against some other sins the way that I do homosexuality is because the lawyers who are dishonest don't sit there and promote it as being, this is the way all lawyers should be. This is the way God made me to be. And you have to accept me. And if I apply for a job, and if I want to be your lawyer, you're going to be discriminating against me if I lie and steal. You have to accept my theft and my lying and all of these things. And lawyers don't have parades promoting dishonest practice and, and taking bribes and doing stuff like this. There are lawyers, sure. There are, you know, doctors. There's all kinds of everybody. There are, in every profession, there are people that do things wrong, but they don't hold parades and brag about it and demand that you accept their immorality. But homosexuality has gotten to a place where it's not only practiced, it's promoted, and they are trying to cram it down my throat and down your throat, and that's what's wrong with it. So anyway, that's my little sideline. Let me get back to what I was saying that America has become like Sodom and Gomorrah in many ways, that they not only are practicing homosexuality, but they are promoting it. They're having parades. They're, they're bragging about it. They are flaunting it in the face of God. So when I say that God, you know, I used to say that if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. The logic behind that was, that America has become just as corrupt in certain ways as Sodom and Gomorrah, and we are worthy of judgment. But now, with the revelation that God has given me, I understand that if God did judge America for our homosexuality and for these other things, He would have to apologize to Jesus. 
because Jesus paid for this. Jesus atoned for our sins. It says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That means the atoning sacrifice. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus didn't only forgive the sins of people who he knew would one day accept him and become Christians, but Jesus paid for the sins of the entire world. Those who don't accept him, those who are homosexuals and who are flaunting their sin and trying to promote it and trying to change society so that they embrace it and promote it and protect it. Jesus paid for the sins of those people. And now God would be unjust uh, uh, to judge those people because of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, am I saying that therefore it's okay? No, it's still wrong. And it's giving Satan a tremendous inroad into their life. You know, I could just, I've taught on this recently. I won't go into detail, but I've got a little uh, booklet type of thing that we put out about abortion, about homosexuality, and about creationism versus evolution. And I put a lot of stacked scientific things in there that, you know, I just don't know off the top of my head, but we put them in this little thing, research, interviewing people and things. And homosexuals, they tend to live like uh, 20 years less than heterosexual people. Did you know that cigarettes take an average of seven years off of a person's life? And yet we've come out and the Surgeon General puts a warning on all cigarettes that this could be hazardous to your health. And that takes an average of seven years off of your life. The average homosexual lives 20 years less. Why don't we put a warning on that? Because it's not politically correct and because we're hypocrites and we aren't just looking at things in an objective way. There is now a politically correct way to look at things. And so what I'm saying is, I, I am not saying that homosexuality is okay because God bore the sin and He's not mad and He's not going to destroy America because of our embracing of this lifestyle. Just because I'm saying that the judgment of God is not coming is not me condoning it and promoting it. It is a destructive lifestyle. It hurts people. It destroys people's lives. It takes years off of your life. And it, on and on I could go. Just because God has paid for the sins of the whole world doesn't mean that it's okay then just to go live in sin. No, Satan is going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour out of 1 Peter chapter 5. And if you give place to Satan, he is going to come in and eat your lunch and pop the bag. You do not want to live in sin. But I'm saying God is not going to be judging your sin. He judged your sin in Jesus. And the only way that you will ever suffer the judgment of God is if you reject His atonement, the payment that Jesus made for your sins. If you reject His atonement, then you will have to pay for your own sins. You will have to pay primarily for the sin of rejecting the greatest sacrifice that was ever made, and that's the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. But your individual sins have been dealt with. And the church as a whole hasn't embraced this. They are telling people, repent because God's going to judge you. But repent because God is going to destroy America or whatever country that you are watching this in. And they are trying to get people to intercede against an angry God and stop him from pouring out his wrath. The way that Abraham tried to do it here in Genesis chapter 18. And I'm saying that under the new covenant, prayer has changed. Jesus 
has satisfied every single demand of God for justice. And now God is not dangling America or you or any other nation over hell with a thin thread that's on fire about ready to burn and drop you into hell. No, God has rescued the entire human race. He's paid for the sins. It doesn't mean that it's automatic. You do have to put faith in the Lord Jesus. But if you have put faith in Jesus, you are redeemed from the wrath of God. God is not going to be angry with you. And it's wrong for you to approach God as if he is still angry, as if the atonement of Jesus didn't make a difference. And you're going to plead with God the way Abraham did. You're going to plead with God the way that Moses did and ask God to turn from his fierce wrath. I'm telling you, that is not New Testament prayer. Chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, tennis elbow, plantar fasciitis. I'm completely healed. So if you don't have your expectation on by now, you better get it on. Glory to God, that healing is already paid for. I just believe that God is the God of miracles. I'm going to go and get back what the devil stole. Right now, I don't have any pain. I'm calling us to a greater place of signs, wonders, and miracles. I will not be using the wheelchair ever again. It's time for you to get up and take your authority and tell the devil where to go. Experience healing August 13th through 16th at our Healing Is Here Conference 2019 in Woodland Park, Colorado. Register online at our website or call us at 719-635-1111. You know, this teaching on a better way to pray is powerful and it leads right into the believer's authority. So we have put these together in a package and you can get both of these books, which really you need this believer's authority as the next step. And you can get either the uh, CD or DVD on a better way to pray and the same thing with the believer's authority and either CD or DVD. If you'll listen to our announcer, he'll give you all of the information and please call or write today. Andrew's teaching titled, A Better Way to Pray, is available in the Better Way to Pray package, which includes two books, A Better Way to Pray and The Believer's Authority, as well as your choice of either the CD albums or DVD albums from both teachings. This package has a catalog value of $105, but you can get it today for only $75. If you prefer, the Better Way to Pray resources are available individually as either a book, study guide, CD album, or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount. Go to awmi.net to see all the ways you can get these products. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. Welcome to the AWM Minute, a quick look at how your partnership with Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College has been raising up disciples and leaders for 25 years, enabling Karis to spread to over 60 campus locations worldwide. Campuses on nearly every continent are discipling students in their own language and culture with the same life-changing message of God's love and grace. Not everybody can come to Colorado, so I think the satellite schools make it possible for a lot more students to, to go through the Bible school courses. The schools provide 
a very needed ingredient to modern day living, and that is more of God's Word in a concentrated form. They're allowing Christians who are hungry for more to get more without having to move to do it. Thank you, partners. For 25 years, your support has sent the message of God's love and grace to students around the world. Visit charisbiblecollege.org to find a campus near you and start your journey today. I want to let you know that we are doing what we call a live Bible study. Every Tuesday night at 6 o'clock Mountain Standard Time, we are broadcasting from our facilities here in Woodland Park, and we are just sharing the Word. I teach for about 25 to 30 minutes, and it's actually live. You can text in your questions. You can call and ask for prayer. You can get product. But we will answer as many of your questions as we can, about 25, 30 minutes worth of teaching and maybe 25 minutes worth of answering questions. It's just a great interactive thing. Every Tuesday night, 6 o'clock p.m. Mountain Standard Time.